Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, happy Father's Day. We're glad you're joining us today. Uh, as Jody mentioned, we can think of no better way to celebrate Father's Day than with bacon, because dads love bacon. It is smoky, it is crispy, it is salty, it is bacony, it is bad for you, which makes it taste all the better, doesn't it? When you know that something's not good, you shouldn't be eating it. Um, what I love about bacon is it's unmistakable. You, you, you can smell bacon from far away. It never fails. Um, I'll be sleeping. Somebody in our house will be cooking breakfast downstairs, and it, I can smell the bacon in my sleep. I, I, it weaves its way into my dreams. Have you had that happen? And I'll wake up and go downstairs, and like I said, it does not fail. You never thought you smelled bacon, and it turned out to be fish or something like that. It is always bacon. And uh, because we love it so much, in the last few decades, bacon has branched out. Have you noticed that bacon has now been like integrated into other foods, like it's bacon combined with chocolate or bacon with cheese. Uh, some of these have gotten weird, and I want to try something with you. I, I want to read to you some bacon combined with something else uh, combinations and, and just hear from you, thumbs up, thumbs down, on whether you think these might be good, all right? Uh, for instance, we'll put the first one up, bacon candy canes. How many, hold your hands high up. How, how many of you think at Christmas time, you, you know candy cane? Okay, bad idea for a stocking stuffer. The nose have it there. All right, how about this one? Maple bacon coffee. Yeah, mostly yeses. I like the efficiency of that. I feel like that's like a breakfast two for one right there. All right, here's another one. Now hold your answer on this until I explain, all right? Normal, <laughs> I'm judging by your reaction. This is gonna be a thumbs down. Normal pink cotton candy is vanilla flavored. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, what if you replace vanilla with bacon? Bacon cotton candy. How many of you are a yes to that? We would try bacon cotton candy. Okay, mostly no's. All right, let's do one more. One more. Bacon and cheese crickets. There's a yes right there. All right, uh, I will try almost anything bacon. This is where I drop, draw the line. Just, just looking at that picture makes me want to gag. Let's get that off the screen. Uh, well, I, I begin today talking about bacon, not just because it's Father's Day, but also because we're starting this new series called The Chicken and the Pig. And probably for many of you, that has made absolutely no sense. And I, I think the right thing to do would be to kind of walk you through a very short story that's going to bring all of that into focus, all right? Uh, once upon a time, there were two friends, two animals, a chicken and a pig, and one day, these two friends were walking down the street, and they came across uh, the neighborhood grocery store. And they noticed a sign in the window of the store that said, bacon and eggs desperately needed. So the, the chicken looked over to the pig, and she said, I will give them the eggs if you give them the bacon. <laughs> well, the pig stopped the chicken from walking in and said, wait a second, wait a second. No way. No deal. Not going to do that. And the chicken looked back at him confused, and she said, why not? And the pig looked back at the chicken and said, because for you, it's a contribution, but for me, it's my life. Eggs are a contribution. Bacon costs something. It's life. Now, we decided to name this series The Chicken and the Pig because we think that there's something very profound in that story that mirrors what we see in Jesus, right? Jesus didn't just come to contribute something to the world. He gave his life, total commitment, total sacrifice. But more, we named this The Chicken and the Pig because that act 
of Jesus and, and the movement that came out of it would seem to suggest that you are to be less of a chicken and more of a pig if you're a follower of his. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you're supposed to be a pig? Or maybe you want to say to them, less chicken, more pig. Would you just say something along those lines to them? You are to be less chicken, more pig. I want to read to you something out of Romans 12. Romans 12, 1, and we'll put this up on the screens. And, and I'll tell you before we look at it, um, this is kind of a problematic verse. Let me just read this with you. It says this right here. You can follow along. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. All right, now, I guess that's not problematic if you read it fast, right? And you focus on the part about worshiping God, or you focus on the part about his mercy. But this phrase right here, let's look at this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That sounds scary. That sounds like it's going to cost me something. It's something that will kill me. Weren't sacrifices in the Bible burnt up on altars? Weren't they taking perfectly healthy animals that were, and then killing them? See why I say this is problematic? I, I don't know many people who want to be the pig. Sure, I don't mind being a chicken. You want a few eggs, I got you. But, but God, if you want a total commitment from me, like bacon-sized commitment, I don't know. Can I confess to you, and this is a pastor standing here telling you this, I am intimidated by this instruction, by this charge in the Bible to give my life, to be a sacrifice. In fact, I feel so often I have failed at that. And the hard part for me is, and I'm about to make this harder for you, I've read the rest of the verse. It says, this is how you please God. This is how you worship him, not through your eggs, but through your bacon and commitment, being a sacrifice. And, and right there, there begins the downward spiral for me, wondering where I stand with God, curious about how disappointed he is with me today. Do you ever feel like this thing that God calls you to that pleases him is so unattainable, you just kind of want to give up? I was talking to somebody at one of our outdoor services a few weeks ago, and I was just asking how they were doing. And they, they kind of rattled off some things in their life that aren't exactly going the way they would like, relationships with their family and, and work. And then they said at the end of that, they said, all week I've just been hearing voices in my head telling me I am the one to blame, that this is all I will ever be, that I'm not worthy of love, and I'm not worthy of good things happening in my life, and my future just holds more disappointment, and I will never be pleasing to God. And as we talked, they communicated the reason behind this, the reason they feel this, is they are certain they have messed this up. They have failed to be a living sacrifice, and they're sure that God is not happy. And I looked at him, and I just said, I am glad you're here. This is exactly the place you need to be when you feel that way. And I'll say the same thing to you. Because while being a living sacrifice is a high bar, it is not impossible. You just need to understand what it means. It is not impossible to meet this charge that God gives us. We just need to understand what bacon looks like. And I think we misunderstand. For example, it says living sacrifice. Would you say that with me? Living sacrifice, living sacrifice. Yes, sacrifices in the Bible involve something being killed, being put on an altar, ceasing to exist. But this 
refers to something that did not exist until Paul wrote this verse. You are a new kind of sacrifice that had not existed until this point in time. You are to be a living sacrifice, not a dead one. So let's correct that misunderstanding right now. You don't need to die to be the sacrifice that God is calling you to be, to be the baking. But here's the other thing you need to know. While being a living sacrifice won't kill you, it's going to take your whole life. You are to be a living sacrifice, not a dead one, but it is going to take your whole life, all of it, your entire life. An old preacher was talking to a group of people that he was training, pastors actually, and, and they were young, they were ready to go out and become sacrifices, and, and they thought ministry was about going out in a blaze of glory. And he said to them, you think giving your all to the Lord is like writing a $1,000 check and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. And then he said, the reality is for most of us, God sends us into the bank to cash in the $1,000 for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. We listen to the neighbor kids' troubles instead of telling them to go get lost. We go to a committee meeting. We, we, we give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Being a living sacrifice is not glorious. It's done in all those little acts, 25 cents at a time. It probably won't kill you, but let me tell you, it will take your whole life. And in some ways, it's harder than the blaze of glory. So today, we start a five-week series where each week, we want to help you understand what it looks like to be this living sacrifice, to live that out in your life, to be the pig, not the chicken. And that involves some really important things we want to teach you in this series. And the reason is not just because God requires this of us or because we are disheartened and we're wondering if we can ever please him. The reason we want to do this is with you is because God has something for you in giving your bacon that is going to set you free in some powerful ways. I think you're going to like the pig life better than the chicken life because it's a far more carefree joy-filled life. I can't wait to show you what it really is over the next five weeks. And I'm going to give you the first of those five today, okay? The first thing you need to know or understand and live into to be this thing that the Bible talks about, I'll tell you the one that we're looking at today. Um, I went to church for 16 years before I understood that I had missed this. And in fact, I am not alone in having missed this one. Seems like it's incredibly frequent. I run across somebody who grew up in church, uh, Catholic, Protestant, doesn't matter, grew up around a religious family. I run across somebody who has an understanding of God, of, of Jesus, even Jesus' death on the cross. I run across somebody who thinks or they thought that they know everything you need to know, but they never understood this very important word we're going to talk about today. And it's called grace. L let me tell you my story, all right? I grew up in a fairly religious family. I, I was dragged to church every single week. Uh, there were times I loved going. There were times I hated going. Uh, it all had to do with who my Sunday school teacher was. That's what they called it back then, Sunday school. We didn't have Crosswinds Kids or anything with like a cool name. It was just Sunday school. And uh, we didn't have Simone, our Crosswinds Kids creative director, playing Fedora the Explorer. <laughs> by the way, um, they are having a blast being taught by Simone's characters. Anyway. If I had a teacher that was boring and strict and mean, I hated going. I would fake sick to get out of going to church. 
And what I love to do on Sundays instead, um, there were two old TV shows that, that were only on on Sunday mornings where I lived, and I loved to stay home and watch them. Like, they were my church. TV shows my dad grew up watching and turned me on to, The Lone Ranger and Cisco Kid. These were only on on Sunday, these black and white westerns. So if I could stay home, that's what I would do. But when I went to church, I heard lots of stories about these people in the Bible. I heard about Noah and the ark and Moses crossing the Red Sea and, and Daniel in the lion's den. And I heard about Jesus dying on the cross. And what I learned about Jesus dying on the cross was that he died for our sins. And I want you to hear this carefully because what I learned was not quite right. I learned that all of us were sinners. Okay, that part was right. That God loved us so much, he would send Jesus to die for our sins. That part was right. But I learned the way that you could be forgiven of your sin was by asking forgiveness and then living like Jesus the rest of your days to prove that you are one of the people worth saving. And that is where things went wrong. Let me just say that again. I learned we are all sinners. The Bible says that in Romans 3.23. Everybody's sinned, fallen short of God's glory, his presence, that, that we're all sinners. I, I learned that when people sin, they earn what sin pays, death. So check. I learned that God sent his son to die for our sins. He, he loved us so much. John 3.16, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. All right, I got that. Check. And then I learned that the way to receive this eternal life was to ask forgiveness and then spend the rest of your earthly life proving to God that when the day comes for you to die, you are worth saving. And I think many of you probably heard something kind of similar, especially as little kids. That's, what we hear, that's where we hear this the most. In fact, that's how they would get us to be good little kids. God is watching. Oh, and he loves you, but he's watching. And he sent Jesus to die for you so you could be forgiven and not have the sin held against you someday when you get to the afterlife. But you better prove to him that you're worthy of forgiveness. But isn't God great that he loves us and he's willing to do that if you prove it? And so as a kid, I did some math. And uh, it's Father's Day, and uh, lots of dads like me, we love football. So I want to illustrate this with X's and O's, all right? I did some math. And I thought the way that you prove to God that you are worthy is that you count your sins, and we'll make those the X's, okay? And then you count your good deeds. We'll make those the O's. And as long as the good deeds, the O's, outnumber the X's, you're in good shape. And as a little kid, uh, that was easy because my memory was short and life was way less complicated. There were not varying degrees of bad behavior and good behavior, and X was an X and O was an O. I didn't think of a lie I told my parents as any different than stealing something that didn't belong to me or hitting my brother. X's were X's. And, and as for the good stuff, um, I thought if I went and got the mail and gave it to my parents, it was like I had created the polio vaccine. O's <laughs> were O's, right? They're all the same. And this X and O math made a lot of sense to me. I lived by this. But then I got to high school. And life started to get a little bit more gray, uh, partly because I started to see that there were levels of bad and there were levels of good, but partly because I started to feel a little bit more adventurous and go do some things and try some things and be some things that put a lot more X's up on my chart. Yes, every now and then I would do an O. Um, in fact, I take that back. I think I did a lot of O's, pr probably just as many as when I was younger. But what I started to realize was my O's were having trouble keeping up with all my X's. 
And, and to be quite honest with you, for most of high school, didn't care. Because I was having fun doing all those X's. However, in these moments of stillness and silence and thought, I would sense that something was missing. Something didn't feel right. And, and then I would get angry at God for designing a system where I could not keep up, where I couldn't please him. And then I'd get angry at myself for letting my exes get the better of me. And, and I would get worried because even if I did figure out a way to get my O's to evenly match the exes, how would I know there's not an X somewhere that I forgot that's missing? How do I ever know I've done enough good to outweigh the bad? And in these moments where I'd start to feel despair, you know what I would do? Uh, maybe you can relate to this. I would compare myself to everyone else. I would look around, and I would look for the most X'd up person I could find. <laughs> By the way, X'd up is a new phrase that I'm thinking we should all start using. It's going to stick. I'll trademark it. People will be using X'd up everywhere. I would look for the most X'd up person I could find, and I would think, at least I'm not that guy. If somebody's not going to get salvation, it's going to be him. I'm better than that. By the way, um, I get why the Pharisees in the Bible did that. And I, I get why people in the church today do that. They look at other people and they judge them. It's not because they're holier than thou. It's because they need to feel holier than thou. It's what makes them think that God still likes them. By finding people with a lot of X's, he must not like. They're not judging nearly as much as they're trying to find people to compare themselves to so that they can win. And the more I judge you, the better I feel about my standing with God. You know, the reason there are so many people like that in churches across America, uh, the, the reason there have been people like that all throughout history, because they did not understand this fundamental thing we're talking about today. One day, with all my X's far outweighing my O's, I was feeling pretty messed up, X'd up, and, and I wondered if maybe I had missed something. And so I went to this church down the road from my house, very different than the church I grew up in. Um, it's a church a lot like Crosswinds. I went to this church, and that Sunday, I heard something I had never heard before, and it was the definition of grace. Now, understand this. I had heard that word before. I, I had sung the song at my old church, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I thought I understood grace. Grace, when Jesus died for me, for my sins, so that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. I thought that I knew grace. I didn't. What I knew was the event where grace happened. I knew grace happened on the cross. That does not mean I knew what grace really was. I went to this church, much like Crosswinds, and I learned the first Sunday that grace took this whole X's and O's thing and it threw it away. That God looked at people in the world and he said, X's and O's won't work. Yes, that's the way it was set up in the past. Do enough O's, outnumber your X's, you'll be fine but nobody could do it. And God looked and he thought, you, you, you poor misguided people, do you really think that X's can go away just because you like do an O? L let me just time out. How does that work in your life? If someone X's you, does an O make it right? Um, if your husband cheated on you and then when you found out, took you on a trip to Paris, would it take away the sting of the affair? If you had a mom that abandoned you for no good reason when you were six years old, no, no reason other than just selfish, not wanting to have to deal with you, and then she came back in your life 10 years later when you were 16, and to make it up to you, she bought you a car. You might let her. You, you definitely would let her. 
But does that take away the pain that you've been feeling for those 10 years? Okay, Isaiah 64, 6 says this. Look at this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And check out this part. All our righteous acts, all of our O's are like filthy rags. God says, O's don't erase the X's. And that is what I have been feeling all along. And, and maybe you've been feeling it too. Like there's nothing you can do to make the X's go away. So here's what God did. He said, I will just take away the X's. And the way he did that, he transferred them over to Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. On the cross, Jesus took our sins and he experienced death and disconnect from God so that we would not have to. But, but here's what it also said. While he's offered to take the X's for everybody, it does not mean everyone has taken him up on it. Now, stay focused because this is where I messed it up. I thought, I learned, by the, the way that I get God to take all my X's is by showing I got a lot of O's. I thought, grace, that's when God forgives my exes, Jesus takes them over, because I have proven I'm more of an O guy. I was wrong. I found out what the Bible really says. Your O's have nothing to do with it. Your O's, nothing. Whether you have a million, whether you have one, whether you won a Nobel Peace Prize, or you helped an old lady cross the street, it doesn't matter. Grace is God forgiving you when you have done nothing to deserve it. Grace is God's unearned forgiveness and generosity. That is the definition I never knew, unearned. Grace is unearned forgiveness. Would you say unearned with me? Unearned, unearned. The Bible says you're not saved by anything that you do. You can't earn your salvation. You are saved by what's been done for you. Can I say that is the difference between Christianity and every other major religion in the world? Christianity is not about working your way or earning your way to some sort of enlightenment or salvation or state of nirvana or a better relationship with God. It is about what's been done for you. It's not do, it's done. That is grace. And the Bible says the way that you receive grace is by asking Okay, ask is such a weird word. Really? Just ask? That's all you do? What's the catch? The catch is asking. It is more than, hey, God, would you take my exes? Because honest, heartfelt, genuine asking begins with saying an admission. I can't do anything with these exes on my own. Just think about that. When you ask somebody to do something for you, you're never just asking. You're saying something, right? You're saying, I need help. I can't do this on my own. And the truth is, when you really ask for grace, you find yourself saying, God, I'm not happy with my exes. So in addition to forgiving them, would you help me build a life full of O's? Now get that. The O's don't make the exes go away. God makes the exes go away. Jesus took them on himself. The O's, they are my response. The O's are my $1,000 being distributed 25 cents at a time. The O's are me becoming a living sacrifice. Now, speaking as a pastor over 30 years later, after I figured that out, I learned grace. I have to tell you, it is the most important thing you will ever know about you and Jesus. It all starts with this. 
It is not a coincidence that I'm teaching you this our second week back indoors. Um, some of you know who John Wooden was. He, he was a coach of UCLA, UCLA basketball for many years, a legendary basketball coach. Well, every year before the season started, he did the same thing with his players at the very first practice. First day of practice, the kids would come into the locker room ready to be taught, get out on the floor, and, and, and learn from this wonderful giant of coaching. What knowledge, what skill will he impart on us first? They would be so excited, but the veterans on the team knew what was coming. Coach Wooden would start the first practice by teaching his players how to put on their socks. Because he had discovered that many players didn't properly smooth out the wrinkles in between their toes and, and around their heels. And if they didn't smooth those out, if that went uncorrected, those wrinkles would cause blisters, which would flare up in the most crucial times during their games. And the players thought that this was weird and they would laugh, but he did it for many, many years. All right, now here's the deal. As we begin to build again what kind of church Crosswinds is and what kind of follower of Jesus you are in community, let's make sure we do it right. And grace is knowing how to put your socks on. Grace is the beginning of being a living sacrifice. You give your whole life to God and you trust that Jesus has died for your exes. Living sacrifice does not mean that you live a perfect life from here on out or that your exes uh, outnumber your O's, your O's outnumber your exes. It means that you don't try to earn forgiveness with your contribution. It means you receive it with your commitment. Let me say that again. You don't try to earn forgiveness with your eggs. You receive it with your bacon. It's the difference between the chicken and the pig. Eggs are, God, I'm going to contribute to your forgiveness by doing some good deeds and hoping they make up for all my exes. Bacon, living sacrifices, God, compared to you, I have nothing to bring to breakfast. So I'm giving you me. I ask you to forgive me, and I give you my life. I commit to following you. Now, so many people never get this. There's no shame in admitting that you haven't got this or that you grew up in church and you never got this. Even this church, maybe even this church. In, in fairness, I'm pretty sure that grace was taught at the church I grew up in. I just couldn't hear it for some reason. I just didn't learn it. You know, when you're a kid, things are very black and white. In your mind, good people should be rewarded and bad people punished. I'll be a good person and God will accept me. Our whole world is built on this system of X's and O's, but it is not God's system for salvation. His system is grace, unearned forgiveness. But you have to ask for it. He won't force it on you. And he doesn't give it to the person who thinks they can earn it. Maybe the most appropriate thing I could do this morning is give you a chance to go to God and ask for his grace. I mean, if this is where a life with God begins, why don't you make that decision today? This is so critical. We did not want to regather as a church and begin to rebuild church without in our very second week stopping and giving those of you who need to do this a chance to make this part of your journey right now. Um, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me and, and we'll pray together. And if, if you want to receive God's grace, I'll just ask you as, you as we pray, would you take the words that I say and say them with me? You don't have to say them out loud, okay? Just in your head, in your heart, Make my words your own. Let's do that right now. God, I come before you today, and I just admit 
that my X's way outnumber my O's. And I acknowledge there's nothing I can do to get rid of my sin on my own. And so, God, I ask your help. I ask for your grace. I believe that you can do something about this. I believe you can take my sin, that Jesus did take it. He took it to the cross. And so, God, I ask for your forgiveness and that you would wipe my slate clean. And God, even as you do that right now, I thank you. And I tell you, I want to live a life that's full of O's, not to prove I'm worthy. You love me no matter what. But God, because I want to follow you into whatever journey you have for me with my whole life. Thank you for saving me and loving me. Amen. If you just prayed that with me, I, I want you to know that is where being a living sacrifice begins. I know many of you have made that decision before. You've seen this X's and O's stuff before. You've heard me teach it. And so I have one more thing I just want to challenge everybody with. Um, in the ancient times, they had a practice that they would, they would take part in to show that they were all in, that they were the pigs and not the chicken, that they were committed with their whole life, not just contributors. This practice was called baptism. Baptism is when a person would put their whole self into the water and be fully immersed and brought out is a way of saying, I'm a new person. Now, not new like, look at me, I'm perfect, but new like, look at me, I'm forgiven. And baptism symbolized that, and it symbolized commitment because every part of you gets wet. Well, some of you, you know, you've understood God's forgiveness, his grace, just for the first time today. But there are others, you, you've understood it for a while, and you've never been baptized, this act that expresses to God and to other people, I'm committed. And for whatever reason, you know, the time hasn't been right or you just haven't been ready, but can I tell you, you can make excuses forever. It's not that complicated. Either you want to express your commitment or you're just testing them out with eggs. God, I'm willing to give a little. Let me tell you, you will not regret a life committed to being a living sacrifice and publicly expressing that through baptism. If you think you might be ready, Jody, uh, who was up here doing our, our host slot earlier, our associate pastor, she's going to be at a kiosk today out in the courtyard that says baptism, and she would love to tell you more about how we do that around here, all right? All right, would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. I will remind you, we have bacon and eggs out in the courtyard today, so make sure you take advantage. Stick around. Many of you have not had a chance to, to see someone with a mask off, see somebody face-to-face -face in a long time. That's part of why we have it. So hang out and say to somebody, I see you, and uh, enjoy your bacon. All right, let's, let's pray together. God of grace, God of grace who became a sacrifice for us, may we know your love and your forgiveness, and may we, the ones that you gave your life for, give our whole lives in return. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.